If you lose a hero, you need to find another one quickly. When living legend and record scorer Harry Kane bounded off to Bavaria to join Bayern Munich, there were fears among some Spurs fans that the team was on a downward spiral. Enter Ange Postacoglu, the avuncular Aussie who's friendly, but not too friendly. The football evangelist who'd rather you slapped him in the face than played a backwards pass. Tottenham were top of the Premier League going into this weekend. How long can the dream last for? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. No need to dream about a top-tipping team because they are real and we have them here, starting with Mark O'Hare. Mark, are you surprised by just how quickly Tottenham have taken on board the ideas of Postacogli? Because if you look at elsewhere, sometimes it's been a bit of a slow start. It's taken a while for him to get those ideas across. Celtic wasn't all roses and rainbows at the start, but obviously it ended up being very good. But they're absolutely flying. Yeah, they are. Uh, answer to your question, yeah, I am surprised at how well they've started the season and how quickly they've looked so aligned with his game plan, with his approach, with his system. I did think it would take time. I thought long-term Spurs would be good this campaign, but I thought the top six finish would probably be um, acceptable, um, realistic after Harry Kane's departure, but I've uh, been very impressed. And I think we saw how far they've come really in that match against Luton before the international break because the first half they were mesmeric. They were so, so good. Luton admittedly were rabbits in the headlines, but the, the term Spursy has been used in kind of British football language now for quite some time. And that Luton game had all the hallmarks of a, a very Spursy performance overall because they dominated that first 45, didn't get the goal, fell down to, to 10 men. Uh, they were missing chances. They were giving opportunities away in the second half. And it looked like, here we go again. The game Spurs are expected to win. They play well and then flop in the second half. But um, they managed to find a way. Um, so I don't think the the old kind of Spursy Spurs would have done that at Kenilworth Road. So, yeah, I think there's huge improvements in terms of the character, the resilience running through this side. We've seen Tottenham score, you know, two, three stoppage time goals already this season to, to earn either full points or, or a share of the spoils. And I think Postacoglu's worked absolute wonders to get this squad in unison. We saw some great videos, uh, clips in pre-season of him sitting down the squad and just talking about football, talking about characters. And uh, I remember watching the video of him sort of appointing Son as the new skipper. And you could tell the team just looked aligned together. And um, it's been a great joy to watch, you know, Madison and, and Song combining brilliantly. Kudusevsky's been been great. But even just to go back to the centre-half partnership of, of Mickey van der Ven and then Christian Romero, who's been incredibly mature uh, leading that defence alongside van der Ven, who's looked pretty accustomed to, to top-flight top flight football in England straight away. So they're looking relatively solid. Uh, they're looking strong, but they're also looking confident as well. The, the only sort of negative I can have is, is Basuma and that sort of brainless red he, he did pick up but um, other than that there seems to be uh, to me an air of sustainability if, if you like about what Tottenham are doing at the minute and if you look at the just raw shot numbers they've attempted 153 shots already which is 20 more than any other side in the Premier League they're averaging 19.1 shots and I know there's only eight games into the campaign but that would be their their record shot average in the Premier League since record started so 
that's going to be hard to sustain. But um, they have had a, a relatively okay schedule to start the season. But the signs are very, very promising. And on Monday night, they've got a, what should be a, a winnable game, you'd say, uh, a home to Fulham too. So um, I believe if if um, if Postacoglu and Spurs win this game, he will have the, the best ever start as a new manager in the Premier League. So, um, you know, the records seem to be tumbling week by week with Tottenham at the minute. And um, yeah, good luck to them. It's, it's quite fun to follow from, from outside. Yeah, I must admit, throughout that answer, I was loving the idea of rabbits in the headlines, famous glitzy rabbits instead of scared rabbits who would be in the headlights. Uh, trader, tipster and part-time archaeologist Emmett Indiana O'Keefe is with us once again. Emmett, Spurs up against Fulham. Seems to me that the Cottagers really struggling in attack. Four of their eight goals have come against promoted teams commentated on their game against Chelsea not too long ago and they were dreadful going forward. They really were. So, you know, without Mitrovic, who was such a heavy goal scorer for them, it was always going to take a bit of adjustment. Absolutely. And as well, I think on on the statistics, they were one of the most cross-heavy teams in the Premier League last year. Their strategy was built around the the aerial ability of Mitrovic. I like that Raul Jimenez, unfortunately, with the terrible injury suffers hasn't been the same player and he's a kind of a, a pale imitation of what Mitrovic was so it's kind of it feels like they're kind of maybe playing a bit like last year but just don't, don't have the same quality of player and as we've kind of discussed in the podcast if as expected Gary Palina moves on in, in January I like I think there's there's very little to be positive about in that Fulham team. I feel I think I think he's going to hold them together at least with him. I think you talk about one of the best holy mid holy midfielders in the Premier League, and he can at least kind of knit things together. But I think Fulham look have all the hallmarks of, of a kind of a real relegation struggler. And if I had to pick maybe one team to join Luton, Sheffield United to go down at the moment, I think they'd definitely be very high on the short list. Um, but having said that, the only thing that would stop me. I'd say if you're if you're, an, if you're looking for an ACA on, on a Monday evening or or kind of doing kind of a Premier League weekend ACA, just Tottenham are probably uh, they're like they're going to miss Basuma with suspension and they might be missing Romero with injury and just in that Tottenham squad like the drop off from Basuma to like Ali Skip and Hoiberg is is big I think the drop off from Romero to maybe uh, a kind of a out of practice Eric Dyer or something like that again I think is quite big so just the that would be maybe be slightly concerning but the angle I take the pro Spurs angle I would take is for is kind of Son Young Min in the goals markets. Um, like since he was moved to centre forward against Burnley, he scored six goals in his last five matches. He's 18 shots in his last five games. If you compare that to his shot average the last two seasons, he's averaging around 2.5 shots per game. But also the difference is, as as the listeners might know, Son Young Min is kind of is is is, is a brilliant shot from distance, and that's and like he'd be one of the one of the he generally kind of outperforms the expected goal season on season. And he makes those shots from distance, which are an inefficient shot for most players. He makes that an efficient shot. But Son is now getting more shots, but he's getting them more inside the box as well. So obviously that gives him a kind of a greater chance of scoring. I think it's one of these ones, I think as the season goes along, I think we might see him get somewhere near Harry Kane's kind of percentage of goals or he'll get, I, I, I think he'll, he'll be scoring. He, he, I think he's like, I think he's in this kind of and, and Postacoglu attacking machine. I, I, I think he, he will, I think he'll, he'll get close to 20 league goals if he stays fit playing in this kind of, in, in this central striker role. 
I think as well, if you can get him against against kind of a bad Fulham team, or an evens to score any time is okay, but I think you should be able to get bigger in the exchange. But I like maybe him to score two or more at 6.0. I think that's definitely worth the go in a kind of a game which should be relatively high scoring. I think if, if as well, if you want to do a double on kind of the Saturday, Monday, Haaland to score two plus and Son to score two plus, that's a pretty juicy price, which I'd, I'd have a look at as well. And just one thing as well, if you're kind of, if you're want to put into numbers, how much of a change Tottenham or this year from last Mark mentioned the shot statistics like last season under Antonio Conte Spurs averaged under 50% possession per game this season they're averaging over 60% like so it's just and for Postacoglu it's an enormous it, change yeah, yeah yeah exactly exactly so if you haven't watched Spurs much much this season I think like I I, I think their appointment viewing they're one of the, they've gone from a team that stunk the joint out and looked totally disjointed and kind of were kind of obviously under loads of different managers last season, just looked at a team that were kind of unhappy with life, fans totally unhappy and unhappy with the team, to a team that are are kind of totally united, maximising their resources and the fans absolutely loving it. So I think, I think it, it spurs me, Spurs and Bright, they're two of the most entertaining teams in the Premier League. And I and, and, and normally Spurs fully, you might say, isn't that appetising a fixture, but I would go out of your way to watch Tottenham. I think they're they're really entertaining watch. And I think Son looks a good better. Odds compiler, tipster and master of the sustainable edge. Mark Stinchcombe is with us. Stinch, what have you made of these two teams so far? Because Tottenham making big, big strides forwards. But Fulham, I mean, they were on the slide a bit towards the end of last season anyway, but that just seems to have continued. Yeah, it looks like uh, when we discussed pre-season, maybe it might take some time for Postatoglu to get his uh, methods across, but it seems to have uh, been almost instant. And I think it deserves a lot of credit with the loss of Harry Kane and and no replacement, essentially, but to move Son into centre-forward, who's so underrated, you know, he's never discussed in in the same... In the same breaths as the the best players in the world, um, uh, and it it just it just makes complete sense, right? Because as Emmett says, as a centre forward, he gets more shots away, and his finishing is arguably the best in the world from a from an attacking player um, in terms of maximising the the chances he's provided. So um, obviously, it's fairly logical to do that. But the fact that he didn't have any other option, you know, you think. Uh, if you new manager come into a club, you got a hundred million. You think you'd like to spend that on a striker, but um, wasn't afforded that. So, yeah, in order to, as I say, <clears throat> to make the change overnight, almost <clears throat> with with Spurs, I think is is very very positive. And uh, with with Fulham, I think there is a big concern that I think you'd al- almost say it could be it could be perhaps them. Luton and Sheffield United, uh, or maybe Bournemouth, if if they don't um, if they don't get an upturn under Iriola, uh, Wolves, Wolves seem to have made some progress of late. Um, you know they have they have won three games this season, but as you mentioned, two of those have come against Sheffield United and, and Luton. So you do worry with that Mitrovic departure. Even second half of last season, uh, Mano Solomon uh, popped up with a lot of uh, a lot of key goals as well. And obviously they they also lost him. So you kind of think, you know, how much can sort of a uh, an aging Villian and and, uh, and Carlos Vinicius and yes, as Emmett says, Rule Jimenez, not the same player he was, how much can can they carry them? And then yeah, potentially the loss of Paulinho in, in January. So that would be a concern. 
So I think arguably Tottenham, as as much as you know, four to nine is is not really a backable price as a as a single. Arguably, perhaps a, a slightly slightly big. Um, but I, I'm happy just to continue to 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 watch from afar for now. I do think uh, one bet that could be of interest when the the lines become available is. Is as my mentioned, Tottenham having a lot of shots is is over seventeen and a half Tottenham shots. I think that might be where the line could get pitched up, and, and Tottenham are averaging nineteen shots per game right now, and obviously that's across all um, teams. So against a team like Fulham, you'd expect that figure to increase. Uh, and Fulham, in, to, in terms of a similar matchup, when they went away to Arsenal, they they conceded nineteen shots in that game. So that that could be one way to to. To back Spurs, or perhaps you you know you you actually focus on the players like Son and Madison, and just concentrate on them getting their shots away, uh, and that could get you a, a decent price if you were to back maybe both of them to to have three or more shots. They're all pretty pro Tottenham here, and you might want to include them in your acca for this weekend. Betfair offering a completely free acca on football this weekend, but you do have to opt in to take advantage of it. Maximum bet varies from £1 to £10 per customer. Applies to any ACA between the 19th and the 23rd of October. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus begambleaware.org. Aston Villa have won their last 10 Premier League home games. They hope to extend that record as they take on West Ham. Mark, that record for Villa, it's really quite extraordinary. I mean, that's that's the levels of a City or a Liverpool or a team like that. Yeah, it's, it's it's sensational. Um they've had 16 games at Villa Park under Unai Emery and they've won 12 of those including that 10 game winning streak and you know look this season they're 3 from 3 at Villa Park in the Premier League by an aggregate of 13 to 2. Uh, those matches coming against Brighton, Palace and Everton. So you know, at least say two of those should be relatively competitive. But uh, Villa have been ever so good at swiping those kind of sides away. Uh, they've kept six clean sheets in that 10-game winning spell. They've also scored twice more on eight occasions as well. So um, they're averaging 2.38 goals per game at home under Unai Emery. That's a, the 16-game sample. So very, very strong. Uh, they seem to have picked up where they left off last season in producing those strong performances at Villa Park. Uh, they've been relatively competitive for the most part on their travels, a couple of hiccups along the way. But I think that's always going to be a case when you're back in European comp- competition again for the first time in a long time. And they've obviously they've picked up quite a few key injuries too in defensive positions. So it's not been easy for them. Uh, before the break, they were held at Wolves, a typical kind of feisty derby game. Well, they started strong, lost their way a little bit, but um, sharpened up uh, in the second half and probably disappointed not to win it with Ollie Watkins hitting the woodwork late on. So, um, yeah, returning home, expecting a strong performance from Villa. I just think this game could be quite exciting, quite entertaining. Uh, I know tactically there is a small chance that these two teams could cancel each other out. Uh, both can be quite reactive to the other in terms of their game plan, but um, I mean, you know, both can be considered pragmatic coaches in certain scenarios. But I just think, borne out by those Villa trends and also West Ham this season, we should be in for a, a decent game with some goals. Um, West Ham have now seen both teams score in seven of their opening eight. Five of those eight games have gone over three and a half goals. Um, they've scored in every game. They've notched twice or more on five occasions. Their only clean sheet came at home to Sheffield United, so it kind of doesn't really count. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a positive start. But my issue with West Ham and, and sort of West Ham getting anything out of this game is just his habit of, of David Moyes and his team to sit on leads. And we've seen it so far this season. They've made strong starts. They actually rank first in the halftime table. They're yet to trail at halftime. They've led on half halftime on five occasions. But in the second half, they're right way down in 14th. 
because Moyes just has this tendency to to sit on that advantage really and allow teams back into games. They can be a little bit passive uh, and invite pressure on, so they tend to get punished in that scenario. So um, I did actually look just a kind of a bit of a, a long shot really. You can get uh, West Ham to lead at half time and a game to end in a draw, eleven to one, or West Ham to lead at half time and Aston Villa to win the game at sixteen to one. If you wanted to kind of follow those trends, but I'm going to take the goals option here uh, over two and a half goals, BTTS and a first half goal, which comes in at one point nine. Um, six of uh, West Ham's, no, six of Villa's eight have gone over two and a half goals. Seven of eight have seen BTTS. Uh, I've already mentioned those numbers before for both teams, but actually, if you exclude penalties so far this season, Villa's matches are averaging three point four expected goals, uh, and West Ham's are very similar to that tally as well. So between them, they scored in fifteen of sixteen, and they've managed just three clean sheets so far this season. And you look at the attacking talent on show um, to. Traditionally, probably mid-table teams, top half teams at best. You've got Watkins, Zaniolo, Diaby, Kudus, Paqueta, Bowen. There's so much talent on both sides. So um, I'd be surprised if they did cancel each other out and this game descended into a drab affair. I'm hoping it'd be quite quite fun and entertaining. So back in goals. Let's head to Germany. Newly promoted Heidenheim up against an Augsburg side that's just changed coaches. They've brought in the former Copenhagen boss, Yes, Torup. Uh, Stinch, does this feel like a good opportunity for the hosts? Because I feel like Heidenheim have actually had some good performances at home so far this season. Yeah, it was a very good victory last time out against uh, Union at, at home. Um, I think Union would argue they deserved a, at least a point from that. But I think credit to Heidenheim because I think what we've seen so far is their... They're not afraid to attack. Um, yeah, they give it a go, don't they? Yeah, they're definitely vulnerable defensively. But if if they do if if they do at least have a go going forward, then they can give themselves a chance. You know, they've got two wins already. Um, the, the same as Darmstadt actually. And the the question at the beginning of the season was sort of relegation wise. Well, it's definitely Heidenheim and Darmstadt who's going to have the the relegation playoff. But I, I think arguably both could could stay up given given the way that they they both sort of took it upon themselves to actually have a go going forward. Uh, we think back to someone like say Bielefeld who were just happy to stay in games, and you see they're yeah. they're now in the the third division. So I think maybe you know modern day football you do get rewarded by being proactive, uh, and I think that's perhaps the the way they're going. So yeah, I think this is an excellent opportunity for Heidenheim to perhaps pick up uh, a victory is reflected by the market as, as their, their, their slight favourites and I think the market I know obviously you say as Augsburg have changed coach but Augsburg have, have gone off odds on twice this season which is just incredible because last season they, they were never even close to being odds on so to go off odds on twice they didn't win either game Um a 2-2 with, with Bochum and a, and a 2-1 defeat v, v Darmstadt. So perhaps the market is coming around to the fact that they aren't very good at Augsburg or worse, in fact, than than than's being anticipated. But obviously, change of coach could reset things there. Having said all that, just going to focus again on on there being being goals. Um, that that's been the trend in the Bundesliga this season, and 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 that's the way I'm I'm happy to to go here. Um, Augsburg's game so far this season seen 27 goals in seven games. That's 3.86 per game. It's nearly four a match. Um, Heidenheim's just two fewer with 25, so that's you know 3.57. 
But we've got a goal line here of two and a half. You know, you're back over two and a half goals at 1.74 on the exchange. In the Bundesliga this season, after 63 games, the average is 3.52 per game. You know, <laughs> and we're talking about a goal line of two and a half. Now, I know 63 is a fairly, obviously, it's only, it's only uh, what, nine games of the season. Sorry, seven games of the season yeah. uh, out of 34. So you could say it's a small sample size. But, you know, we know the Bundesliga generally is goal heavy. Last season, 3.17 goals per game. So it's almost if whenever you see a goal line at two and a half in the Bundesliga, regardless of the teams involved, I think you've just got to attack it unless there's a massive reason. Obviously, we could say the change in coach could be a reason not to do it. But I don't think... I think it's only a very only plays a very small part in it. Now I could see it might sound a bit strange, but I could see Heidenheim winning three 0 for example, given the way they have attacked yeah. so far. You know, they're averaging the sixth most shots per game at home. Heidenheim sixteen. And, you know, that's a huge, huge. That's the same amount as Leverkusen. Like that's that's an incredible start to life in the Bundesliga. Um, but defensively, as we say, they are vulnerable. They've conceded at least two goals in six of their seven games so far. You know, and Augsburg defensively have been all over the place for a lot longer than that. They've conceded at least two goals in nine of their last ten games. But even under the old boss, they were they were having they were having a go away from home. Uh, They're averaging the sixth most shots away from home, Augsburg. So. I think very much a basketball game here, which is very much in keeping with Team A versus Team B in the Bundesliga. So over two and a half goals, whenever you see, uh, whenever you see that line in the Bundesliga game, I think it has to be attacked. Yeah, Mark, I think Stinch is absolutely spot on there, isn't he? Because you know, Bundesliga games by nature, it's a, it's it's quite a counter-attack heavy league. It's quite open. There aren't many teams that go somewhere and say, right, we're going to dig in and play for the nil-nil. And generally, those teams don't last very long at that level anyway. Bielefeld was a great example of that. Do you think we'll see goals here as well? Do you think I think we'll see goals in this game? <laughs> yes, I do think you think that. Absolutely, that's why I think. Yeah, I suppose the other thing as well, if you were looking at, if that goal line's where it is, so about, what was it, 1.74, did you say, Stinch? Yep. I mean... You look at little things like Jan Niklas Bester, who's been one of the best, one of the best players in the league so far in terms of effectiveness. Brilliant in the second tier. You chucked in just him to have a shot and maybe a few corners. You're getting over evens, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've I've chosen just to keep it simple, like Stinch, really. Um, but um, you know, Augsburg traditionally um, are poor travellers. We've talked about this a few times already this season. Uh, they've managed just one clean sheet away from home since the start of last year, which I think is a 20-game sample. Uh, the vast majority of those matches have gone over two and a half goals. Half or over half have gone over three and a half goals and 14 of 20 have seen BTTS. They are involved in heavy goal-scoring matches, particularly away from home. But for all the plaudits we're going to give Heidenheim, I'll just bring them back down to earth a little bit because as much as they're playing with energy and, and thrust and getting forward and, and exciting us, defensively they are open. Um, they've conceded multiple goals in six of seven and their data is absolutely atrocious. Um, Stinch is right, the Union game they won. Uh, I didn't think they deserved to win. Uh, I thought Union definitely deserved at least a share of the spoils. But in Heidenheim's seven fixtures, all seven of their opponents have averaged, or sorry, not averaged, they've produced an expected goals output of 2.0 or better. That's all seven opponents. Six of their seven opponents have had six shots on target or more. So that's obviously going to encourage Augsburg, who will be eager to impress their new coach. Um, both teams have been getting on the score sheets 
relatively comfortably and relatively often. But the the stat that really interests me in this match is the, the fact that together these two teams have conceded two goals or more in 12 of their combined 14 fixtures, which is disastrous defensively, uh, but kind of breeds into this uh, idea that the Bundesliga is open, it is expansive, teams do try and... Uh, outscore each other in a bit of a shootout and I think we've got a, a great case of that this weekend because uh, Augsburg will see this as a winnable opportunity but absolutely Heidenheim will too so uh, it should uh, breed into a, a nice end-to-end fixture. Now we know injury time goals could be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bet. Now you've got 90 minute payout to rescue you if the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands. Your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus begambleaware.org. To France then and high-flying Monaco up against Metz. Emmett, I've got to say, I've been really impressed by Monaco so far this season. I feel like Adi Huta, the coach, needed his reputation to be rehabilitated after a pretty stinky year at Gladbach that just didn't work out for him at all. But this has been much more like one of his teams, attack heavy, really effective. They've looked great. They've looked terrific. Yeah. Like I think they're as well, there's not, I think in in modern football, you you rarely see, you rarely see teams with a generally, kind of a genuinely potent strike partnership in Milan, for example, with Marcus Turam and Lautaro Martinez. But like with Vissan Banyeder and Flo Balogun up front, their strike partnership is is the is at the envy of the whole league bar PSG. I think they're like I, I think they'll be able to blow away a lot of the smaller opposition because of that. I think they've they, I think like so far they're at their top of league on, league on at the moment. Their underlying suggests numbers suggest that's that's no fluke. Everything about them is positive. And I, I think as if they can, if Benietta and Balogun can keep building on this partnership, I think there's 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 a route for a minimum kind of a Champions League Champions League qualification, yeah. and maybe like PSG have had down years in the past where they've like last year Lons team who had less talent this Monaco team got close to them. Who knows? Maybe if the Mbappe situation goes haywire and there's issues with the club, PSG are a volatile club. You never know if Monaco can kind of maintain this level and hope for a bit of volatility and kind of PSG kind of turning turning on themselves. You never know. It, it might be kind of a special year for them. Um, but in, in this match specifically against Mets, without being kind of, yeah, without trying to be, you can't, there's not much too scientific to say here. Monaco are very good and Mets are pretty useless. Like they're, they're second from bottom in, in the French league. Away from home this season, they've already lost 5-1 at Rennes. They lost... Three, three nil at Toulouse, and you're getting and we're look Monaco this season have come and been kind of very dominant in a lot of their wins, and you're getting close to close to even money on on Monaco on the minus one handicap that looks more than fair to me. I I, I think this this looks a game where Monaco should, should win very comfortably. Next, there's lots of quality behind that front too as well. You've yeah. got guys like like Golovin and Minamino. You've got you know lots of young players coming through as well. They've got Fafana driving in midfield. It's a lovely team to watch if you haven't seen them so far this season. Finally, in Spain, Barcelona against Athletic Club Stinch. Barca are a funny team. They've managed to get themselves out of a few scrapes this season, thinking of Celta Vigo when they were in big trouble, but managed to turn that around. They weren't great against Granada, but found a way. But when you've got that much firepower, you can dig yourself out of a lot of scrapes, can't you? 
Yeah, but it's that firepower or lack of this this weekend that I want to focus on here with uh, Lewandowski out with his ankle injury. And uh, I think he's he's a huge miss, basically. I mean, not surprising to say huge miss, but I'm not sure the other players are stepping up enough um, to, to want to get with Barcelona um, this weekend. They're four to six v Bilbao, which I think is a very, very dodgy uh, price if if uh, if. I'm assuming a lot of people come Sunday night would, would probably maybe be relying on Barcelona to complete an accumulator or something, but I would be very wary about sort of throwing them in there against a very good uh, Bilbao side. Um, yeah, Lewandowski's five goals and three assists in La Liga so far. That's 40% involvement in Barcelona's goals. And last season, he scored 23 of their 70 goals. So he scored 33% last season. So you can see they have a huge reliance on him. And I don't really feel anyone sort of stepped up so far. João Felix only one goal in six in La Liga. Gundogan's yet to open his account in La Liga in nine. I think it's likely that Ferran Torres will, will play down the middle. He did, did so when he came on against Porto in the Champions League. But in his Barcelona career, starting as a striker, it's, it's zero goals in seven starts for him. So... I think there's a, a chance that this could be lower scoring than than expected. Uh, the goal line is chalked up at two and a half, uh, but unders is under two and a half goals is is uh, twenty three to twenty, and I think it could be more fifty fifty here. Um, Bill Bow, as I said, no easy task at the moment. Fifth in the league, only two defeats in nine. They're third based on expected points, and themselves have conceded just nine goals in nine games. And I think Barcelona will, will need to be wary of the likes of Inaki Williams and Munyain. Um Oysen Sanchez as well uh, in in transition. And the key thing for me, if you look at the the six domestic games that Lewandowski has missed since joining Barcelona at the beginning of last season, five have ended in narrow 1-0 Barcelona wins. So there's there's a clear downturn in, in goals. So I'm going to back under 2.75 goals, around about evens on the exchange. Uh, and then I'm not really fussed who, who comes out on top. But I think Bilbao's uh, defence can keep Barcelona at bay for a long period here. Well, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. We're going to look ahead to the Champions League games in a special show early next week. Remember, all of our shows are on Betfair's new YouTube channel for non-racing content. So make sure you like and subscribe. From Emmett, from Mark, from Stinch and from me, it's goodbye for now.